how we view the world has a, has a direct impact on how we learn what we see, what we find, um, has a tendency to be impacted by how we've prepared ourselves to look and, and, and what we're really looking for. Do you know what I mean? We kind of see the world sometimes the way we want to see it. Like the guy that uh, was in the market for a hunting dog. And he saw on Craigslist a guy was selling a bird dog for $15,000. But the ad said it was well worth it. Call to see her in action, it said. This guy thought, if nothing else, I've got to see a dog that somebody thinks is worth $15,000. I've got to see that dog hunt. So, so he answered the ad, and he went on a hunt with this guy, and they got out of the pickup, and they let the dog out. And the dog ran to this plum thicket and pointed and expertly flushed these quail out of the plum thicket, and these guys shot a couple of them. They landed in a pond. The dog ran to the edge of the pond and walked across the surface of the water like Jesus and picked up the quail and brought them back and dropped them at their feet. And the guy selling the dog said, see, I told you she was worth it. And man, he wrote a check that day right there, $15,000, took this dog home. On the way home, he called his brother and said, you have got to see this. I just spent $15,000 on the most miraculous hunting dog you've ever seen. So his brother comes, they go hunting, same thing, dog points, birds flush, shoot birds, the birds fall in the pond, the dog walks across the surface of the water, picks up the birds, walks back across the surface of the water, and drops the birds at the hunter's feet. And the guy proudly says, see? And his brother smirked at him and shook his head and said, it is just like you. You're the only guy I know would be dumb enough to spend $15,000 on a bird dog that can't even swim. See, what you want to see, what you're looking for, will color what you find. If you want to not like your brother, you won't like your brother or his bird dog. We see this in Jesus' ministry throughout. It's been a while since we've studied Matthew together. A couple weeks have gone by. But Jesus has just finished a conversation with some people who have flatly rejected him. Scribes and Pharisees. And what's interesting is around Jesus are some people, the disciples, who have left everything to follow Jesus. And when they hear Jesus teach and watch him do miracles, it's becoming more and more evident to them that this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God, this is the Savior of the world. Then there are crowds of people who maybe could go either way. And then there are other people in the scribes and Pharisees who have heard the same teaching. And they've seen the same miracles. And they've become convinced that Jesus is possessed by demons. Isn't it interesting how different people can hear, can experience the same thing and come to vastly different conclusions? Have you noticed that? A lot of it has to do with how we have prepared ourselves to receive what it is we're receiving. 
At the beginning of Matthew 13, Jesus is kind of done with that conversation with the scribes and Pharisees where they have rejected him. And today he makes a change in the way he teaches publicly. Today he starts teaching more and more through parables. I'll give you a definition of a parable. We're going to see a lot of them over the next coming months here. A parable is a made-up story. So these parables that Jesus will teach his way through, most of them, they're not true stories. They're made-up stories used to teach a real truth in a way that reveals that truth to some people and withholds that truth from other people. Why Jesus begins teaching using parables is the sermon next week. So come back if you want to know why Jesus would teach that way. But Jesus is going to tell, I didn't go back and check carefully, but I think he's only taught one parable in 12 chapters through the book of Matthew. And over the next five or six chapters, he's going to teach 15 of them. The first one is what concerns us today. And we're going to read it in just a minute. Usually it's called the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. It's about a farmer who plants seed, broadcast, and that seed falls on four different kinds of soil, and, and that the soil brings about different results. But what Jesus is talking about is what the disciples undoubtedly are noticing. Hey, Lord, how come when we hear you preach, it's more evidence that you are who you say you are But when other people hear you preach, they see more evidence that you are not who you say you are. How can the the same message have different results? And Jesus is teaching that even in our lives as Christians, the same good teaching in one person's life brings about change and and a harvest, the results God wants and in somebody else, not so much. That's the first por- uh, parable. We're going to read, if you notice, there's a split in the passage today. What Jesus does, he tells this parable. He hasn't taught this way yet. He offers no explanation to the crowds, and, and the disciples then want to ask, why are you teaching like that? You didn't tell anybody what you meant. That's next week's passage. And then Jesus explains this parable. So what we're going to do today is we're going to listen in verses 1 through 9. We're going to read as Jesus tells this parable of the soils or the sower. We're going to skip a little bit and then we're going to study his explanation of this parable. That's why we're skipping around a little bit today. In Matthew chapter 13, New American Standard Version reads this way. That day, so the same day Jesus had this conversation where he was rejected by the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables. Saying, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate those seeds up. Verse 5, others fell on the rocky places 
where they did not have much soil, and immediately those, sprang, those seeds sprang up because they had no depth of soil. Verse 6, But when the sun had risen, those plants were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked the plants out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some 100-fold, some 60, and some 30. Hear who, he who has ears, let him hear. And then skip down to verse 18. Here's Jesus' explanation of what he meant in that parable. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when the affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Verse 22, and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some 100-fold, some 60 and some 30. That's the story and the explanation. And now I'm going to explain the story and the explanation. And in that passage, I think there are four, it's really a story of crop failures. Like finally something we can understand around here, right? We know a thing or two about crop failure, unfortunately. And I think there are four things that we can learn that cause crop failure when this crop is really the, the word of God in our lives. And then there's one, one way that, that there's success. So that's what we want to study this morning. What keeps the word of God from rooting in our hearts and maturing to full harvest? All right. The first the first thing that causes crop failure from this parable is bad seed. Now, this, this really isn't one of Jesus' main points here in this parable, so maybe I shouldn't teach this. But I think this is, it's obvious, it's obviously true in the parable, and it's important. We know that there are a million different things when you're growing stuff that can cause crop failure. There are no guarantees in farming. Amen, farmers? Until that crop is in the bin, there are, there's no guarantee. But here's one guarantee. If you plant the wrong kind of seed, you will not get the right kind of crop. Isn't that true? I can't plant rye and hope for corn. Right? You, you had better start with good seed. Maybe, I don't know, decalb seed. This sermon is brought to you by decalb seed dealer. See Scott Wade for details. No. You have, it's important. It's imperative. Here's why I say this really comes from this parable, even though Jesus doesn't warn us against 
bad seed. Jesus tells us a sower went out to sow, and then later in his explanation, he says, that seed that's being sown in my story is the word of the kingdom, 100% pure, accurate seed of truth. When Jesus spoke, he spoke 100% perfectly and accurately. There's a million different things that can cause even the right seed to not become a full harvest. So we better make sure what we are getting put inside of our hearts is good seed. Because even if the seed's good, we're not guaranteed the right crop. Does that make sense? Jesus says this story is about someone, the seed is not the problem in this story. And here's why I bring that up. Just because you are in the habit of coming to a church that teaches the word of God accurately, and you are at one, I hope. Just because you show up and have the seed accurately broadcast toward your hearts does not guarantee a crop. But the opposite of that If you're not putting good seed in your heart, you are guaranteed not to have the right crop. Does that make sense? Young people, when you go someplace to pick a church someday, the most important factor in choosing a church is someplace that exposits, that teaches the right seed correctly. Because there's a million different things that can still keep this from taking root in my heart. But without this, I don't have a chance. So, bad seed is not even really a part of this parable. But it understood, we have to start, we have to start there. Bad seed's not the only thing that can cause a crop failure. That's what this passage is about. What happens that even good seed, just because I'm here every week, just because I read my Bible every morning, just because the right seed is falling into my ears, why doesn't my life change? Why don't I grow? That's, that's what this is about, the rest of the crop failures. We start here. So our second reason, first reason for crop failure would be planting the wrong seed. Assuming that's not a problem, our second reason for crop failure, second cause of crop failure, is something I'm going to call hard-hearted rejection. This is symbolized by the seed that falls on or near the path in Jesus' story. In ancient Palestine, where Jesus lived, Fields weren't laid out like ours are, right, with roads around every field. The paths were ancient. The paths between villages meandered through the countryside um, and had been beaten down over the centuries, and fields grew up just around those paths. So you would always have, if you had a field by the path, you always had people walking through your field because the path is the path. And if the farmer went out to sow, he would never be aiming to plant seed on that road that was packed down uh, about like the sidewalk outside. 
Because he would know it wouldn't germinate, but undoubtedly, if some would at times, whatever seed fell on that path, it wasn't going to do him any a bit of good when it came harvest time. It wasn't going to germinate. It wasn't going to grow. There was going to be no harvest. It was set on the top, and birds would come and snatch it away. And here's, here's what Jesus is, is teaching. He's describing the response for his disciples of the fa- scribes and Pharisees. If the disciples are wondering, Jesus, how come they don't get it? How come they can't see the evidence that says you are who you say you are and who we're learning that you are? And Jesus says, because their hearts are so hard, I can tell them the truth and tell them the truth and tell them the truth and they will not let it sink in. They're bound and determined to reject me. Hard-heartedness keeps the truth from soaking in. And here's what happens next. Jesus said, the birds come and snatch that truth away in his story. In his explanation, he said that the evil one... um, in, in Matthew and excuse me in Mark and in Luke they use different names for the evil one Satan the devil same guy <laughs> comes and snatches that truth away that really happens here's what happens I'll say this morning you're sort of hard hearted okay you're not going to let anything sne- sink in I don't need this stuff it's not going to do me any good no thank you let's say a month from now you have some sort of hard time and, and you, you, you really need some help and, and your heart softens, it's really possible that even if your heart softens and, and you think, man, I wonder, what was, it that, what was it that Matt Maxwell was saying that one Sunday? Yes, it won't be there. It, it'll be snatched away. Hard-heartedness not only keeps us from accepting truth today, it guarantees like it won't be in here when we need it. It just bounces off. That's one reason for a crop failure. It's the reason for the Pharisees and the scribes' crop failure. Now, praise God, nobody's beyond uh, the reach uh, of God. He can soften hearts, the hardest of hearts. But outside of a miracle, the hard-hearted person The truth's just not going to sink in. So we've got bad seed is a cause of crop failure. We've got a hard-heartedness is a cause of crop failure. And the third cause of crop failure, as symbolized by the second soil in the story, in the parable, is something I'm going to call superficial faith or shallow spirituality. And I put faith in giant air quotes. superficial, shallow faith. The, the, the Bible translation I put on the screen a lot of times is called the Net Bible, N-E-T, New English Translation. I like it. I like their footnotes. A lot of them are translational. Um, in one of their footnotes at this passage, they describe the kind of soil that Jesus is talking about here. Farmers, how many of you have had a field that just had too many rocks in it? And the rocks were a pain and you've had maybe get some implement that, that's, that gets rocks out of your field. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about ancient Palestine, rocky soil. is more like what's on the screen there, where you have a thin layer of soil, and then not far under the surface, there's a shelf. In ancient Palestine, it would have been limestone. So that there's decent soil, just not much of it. 
and then there's rock underneath. Does that make sense? And so that's why what happens to the plant happens to the plant. Immediately, it germinates in that little bit of soil. It, it sprouts, it grows. But that soil won't hold enough moisture to do that plant any good when it gets hot. The sun bakes the soil. The plant can't root down to find any more water. And it dies. That's what happens in the story Now, what is Jesus describing? In Jesus' life, people came to Jesus for shallow reasons. People came to Jesus um, not to get the full depth of what Jesus came to give people. Here's Here's the full purpose why Jesus came to earth. Because people were separated from God. And Jesus wanted to reconcile that relationship. Jesus wanted people to have eternal life. Jesus wanted to die in your place and give you a purpose in life to the full, centered on Him. In Jesus' day, crowds and crowds of people were always around Jesus. But guess what they wanted? They just wanted their issues fixed. Real issues, don't get me wrong. I have leprosy. I'd like to not be leprous anymore. I have, a, I have a hemorrhaging issue that I would like to not have anymore. Right? I have, a, I have some sort of demonic problems I'd like to not have anymore. Those, that's real business. Those are real things that cause real pain. But listen, at the end of that person's life in eternity... If they didn't come to to really grasp Jesus and and come to him by faith, and and if he didn't become their eternal savior, they're going to look back on their life and and think, you know, I got 15 years of healing until the next malady came along. Or maybe I got four decades of health before I died, but now I'm facing an eternity in hell. That sure seems like a shallow reason for me to go to Jesus. Does that make sense? Shallow spirituality has not gone away. Not by a long shot. In fact, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly common. Coming to Jesus and believing Jesus can do miraculous things and coming to Jesus and believing Jesus is the most miraculous thing are not the same thing. Coming to Jesus and asking Him to fix a few things I would like fixed in my life so that I can go about living my life the way I've always wanted to live it, but this is the thing that's holding me back. And coming to God and saying, the best thing you ever did for me is Jesus Christ, and I just want all of Him. Those are not the same thing. This is part of the bad seed that I described a minute ago because there's a lot of superficial, shallow spirituality, especially in America, that gets painted as if it's Christian, and it's really not. There's a lot of not-quite-Christianity Christianities that purport to do things for people we would all like to have done. To raise my self-esteem. 
to heal me of some disease, to find me a spouse, to change the spouse I've got, to make me more money, to get me out of debt, to insert your whatever here. And it's not that, it's not that God can't do those things. He can, and he does. But here's the problem. When those issues become the reason that I come to Jesus, I'm going to be disillusioned, and this faith that I have growing up out of my soil is going to dry up. Here's how it happens. Let's say I, let's say I have a health issue. And I decide, you know, I've been trying to kick this, this health issue for a long time. I'm going to go to Jesus, and I'm going to try some Jesus and see if my health issue gets fixed. Because if I had this fixed, then I could live my best life now. And maybe I come to Jesus, and maybe he does it. Can Jesus still heal? Absolutely. So maybe I come to Jesus, maybe he does. He heals that thing I used to have. Hallelujah. But, but guess what Jesus promised I would also get if I follow him? I'll get hardship. I'll get hatred from the world. I'll get persecution. Right? And so if I come to Jesus to get my issues fixed, to get things that repaired so I can live the life I always wanted to live, and his real promises come true... I'll get disillusioned with Jesus. I'll feel like Jesus doesn't work. What I'll be doing is holding him accountable for promises he never made to me because Jesus didn't come to fix all my earthly issues in this broken world. He will walk through them with me. And then we become like this plant. Remember in in the story, the person's not the plant, the person's the soil. So here's what happens. I've come to Jesus, I've asked him to do something for me, and he did it. And I have this response of joy, like, wow, Jesus is awesome. But then life turns up the heat, and the sun comes out, and the pain starts, and I get disillusioned, like, I want the Jesus who did everything for me. And that response that I had that was full of joy starts to shrivel but the, prob- the problem is not the plant. The problem is the depth of my faith, the depth of my soil. Not to jump to the last soil, but sun's not supposed to be a problem for a plant, is it? <laughs> sun's a good thing. In this story, it's persecution. The Bible tells us hardship is a good thing for the faith of a real Jesus follower. What is... What is What is trial and hardship supposed to do? It's supposed to make us root down farther into what our real hope and our real joy is, which has not changed based on my circumstances. Deeply rooted Christians for whom Christ is joy and strength and hope can survive when the heat comes on. But if the only reason we went to God is to get some issues fixed, when we get new issues, we'll try something else. Right? That's this part of the parable. All right, so 
First cause of crop failure is bad seed. Not even getting the right seed put in my soil. Second cause of crop failure was hard-heartedness. I won't let that seed in. Don't need it. No, thank you. Third cause of crop failure is just being superficial, coming to Jesus like for the wrong reasons. Fourth cause of crop failure, I'm going to call misplaced priorities. We see this in verse 7 and in verse 22. In verse 7, Jesus said, Other seeds fell among the thorns, and those plants grew, the thorns grew up and choked the plant the farmer really wanted to be growing. By way of explanation, verse 22, Jesus said this, The seed sown among the thorns is the person who hears the word, but worldly cares and the seductiveness of wealth choke the word so that there's nothing produced. There are lots of people who can hear sermons and read passages in the Bible and understand logically what is being said. You know, really this book gets a bad rap for how confusing it is. It's really not that difficult. It's pretty clear. But everyone who, there's a difference between understanding and it actually taking root and becoming a part of my life and a part of my character and a part of who I am and controlling my behavior. That's a different animal, right? One thing that causes this word, even though, see, the soil's not a problem here. Good soil, it's deep. The problem is what the energy in the soil goes to feed. It doesn't go to feed the crop the sower God wants growing there. I've got all this other stuff that I'm trying to feed. This is the person who who understands, hears, I would much rather go to heaven than hell when I die. Yep, that's me. But if I dive all the way into this Jesus thing, like he, might, he might want to control like my career, my money, my free time. So, eh. Or this is a person who, who knows a lot of this. Like this is the person who will murder you in Bible trivia game. But it's always an intellectual pursuit. It hasn't really taken root in my life. There's no measurable difference in my life and somebody else's life. I just know a lot more of this. What's the difference? Why does that happen? Because the energy in our lives, if we're not really, really careful, will go to feed something besides what God wants growing in our lives. Jesus calls them thorns, weeds. The problem's not the soil. The problem is my life and the soil of my life. I'm trying to support all this other stuff that I care about too much to get rid of. Everybody take, pay attention for one sec. Take these two fingers. Okay, not these two, the ones on your hand. Take these two fingers, put them right there. Try it, do it. You feel something bump bumping? If you do, if you don't, call for help, okay? If you do, you can put your hand down now. If you do, you have this problem. We all, we all do. Too much of the time this passage, we, 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 we teach this this way. Let's figure out which one, of these are go, which one of these kinds of people are going to heaven and which ones aren't. That's not the point of this passage because we can be all four kinds of soil. We can be all four kinds of soil. 
And here's how you check to see if you've got a weedy thorn problem in your life. And we won't take time to do it here, do it right now, but you get out a pencil and paper to try this, do this. I'm challenging you to do this. Make a list of what you believe, what you say you believe are the most important things in life. Can you do that? Get a pencil and paper. Here's what I think. This is the most important things to me. And get out another sheet of paper. And track how you've spent your time the last week and the last month. And see how much of the energy of your life has, going, has, has gone to feed what you think, what you say is the most important things in your life. If I say this is the most important stuff in my life, but I devote no energy or very little energy toward these things, like something's off. It's very possible. The nutrients in my soil are feeding weeds. They might be sacred weeds to me. They might be things I can convince myself I've got to have. But they might be weeds. You want some ideas of what they might be? Worldly cares. And the seductiveness of money. This stuff causes crop failure. And I don't want you to be hard-hearted. The reason I had you check your pulse and say you have this problem is because it's really easy to hear this and get soil number one syndrome. I don't need this. This isn't for me. No, 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 no. Don't be talking about my money, Maxwell. Don't be talking about my career. We can be all four kinds of... Can a real heaven-bound Christian be hard-hearted? Absolutely. Can a real heaven-bound Christian get shallow in his or her faith? Absolutely. And we had all better be taking stock of what weeds tend to pop up in our soil because they steal the energy from our harvest. In verse 8 and verse 23, Jesus said, there's good soil that when the, when the seed gets there, there's a harvest. You notice with the same kind of seed, some produces a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. It's the same seed and the same kind of soil. What's the difference? The amount of time somebody spends pulling weeds, <laughs> softening their soil, and getting rid of rocks. What, what is a good, what's, what's the harvest that God's looking for? I don't know, for time's sake, I won't go through these. Warren, this is a list I stole from Warren Wearsby as a preacher I really uh, respect and writer. He says, here's what God, here's the harvest God wants when he sows seed in us. He wants us to increase in personal holiness. Do, do I still have the same amount of every sin I've ever struggled with? Or as I get closer to Jesus, is he getting rid of some of that in my life? It's not that I get rid of that so he'll love me, but because I love him and he loves me, is my character grow, growing? Galatians five twenty two and 23 is the fruit of the Spirit. Is my life, this is part of the harvest God wants in your life and my life, is my life characterized more now by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and I forgot one. 
Is that what's growing in my life? Good works. Good works don't get me into heaven, but a heaven-born believer that's the, the, that's the harvest, the crop that's supposed to be growing is God doing good things for other people through me, his servant. Is that happening? Winning others to Christ. Am I inviting people to church? Do I have gospel conversations? Do other people know that, that Jesus and the gospel are important to me? That's next. A life characterized by the gospel and a love of Jesus. The only time anybody would ever know you like Jesus is when you're here. Generosity and a life characterized by praise. That's the harvest. But the truth is, every single one of us at different times is, can be all four different kinds of soil. It's probably time you and I take some soil samples. Take stock of what's growing in there. What is it I really am asking God for? What is it that I really want from God? Do I have just a list of shallow, superficial things? Do I just want him to fix what I want fixed so I can do what I want to do without this stuff hindering me? Or do I see him as the prize, the goal? Do I do, I do some things for him, but if I'm honest with myself, I just go through those motions? This happens to preachers. Um... It's not happening to me right now, praise God, but it does happen. It happens to preachers where suddenly writing sermons is just something I have to do because I, you know, what else am I going to do? I don't have the passion. I don't spend the time in preparation. I don't know what that is for you, but maybe there's stuff that you still do that other things are sapping the passion, the preparation, the time, the joy. They used to do. How is your soil? God wants to bring a harvest out of your life, but we have to do some work tending, tending our own soil. Stephanie's going to come up and sing. We're not going to uh, or, and and play. I think Joni might help too. We're going to move to a time of communion, but uh, as the bread comes around. This is when I want, to, I want to invite you to spend some time taking a little soil sample. Okay? Whatever I have, uh, whatever we've just said that struck a nerve with you, explore that. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't waste this chance. Where am I shallow? What am I feeding that is not, that maybe needs to be weeded out? Where am I hard Hard. Where do I refuse to even listen? Where do I read ahead, look ahead, and might not show up that week? Ever done that one? Bow your heads and ask the guys to come forward and pray for the, the bread. Lord, uh, as we, your people, we sometimes we're hard-soiled folks. We're shallow-soiled folks, and we have all kinds of weeds that demand our attention. God, we want to see your harvest in our lives. So right now, before the symbol of your body uh, comes around, or while it does, 
show us where our soil needs to improve. You are the master sower and you sow a perfect seed. But our soil is not always what it needs to be. Speak to us in our hearts, O Lord, in Jesus' name. you spend some time with the Lord and I don't think it would be possible to be honest and not have some some things between you and the Lord at this point and listen we're done with that now that's between you and the Lord and whoever else you want to confide in to hold you accountable or whatever that is because now we got to shift gears just a little bit what you do with that may make a difference in the fruitfulness that comes out of your life the harvest you it might be the difference between 100 bushel and 30 bushel fruitfulness in your life but it can't save you let me tell you what can the only thing that can the sower the righteous farmer the god of the universe sent his son Jesus one time called himself like a seed that would go into the ground and die. God God planted his perfect son here to die. Under the weight of the punishment your sins deserved. And what we're we're doing right now, saying, Lord, I, I just went through a whole bunch of things I should change. I know stuff I should uproot in my soil. I'm shallow. I'm hard. But here's one thing I want to plant in the soil of my soul. That your son paid the punishment my sins deserved. That's what we're doing here. It's like we're planting the symbol of his sacrifice in our soils. The night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he told his disciples, this is my body and it's broken for you. This do in remembrance of him. God, as the, as the cup comes around, the symbol of your blood, we want to just take some time to remember that your sacrifice is what brings the harvest of our eternal life. We can do more with with fertile soil than just eternal life, but we can't do one bit of our eternal life, Lord. It's only by your blood that we uh, can be born again into eternal life, and we remember that while the cups come around in Jesus' name. Amen. lyrics right at the end boldly I approach your throne she said by my ability to keep the weeds pulled out of my life that's how I come by by my ability to take you seriously by my ability to be good that's that's is that what she said no by your what by your blood I come welcomed in your arms listen he forgives wicked people hard-hearted, shallow, rocky, weedy people like us. 
he asks us as often as we do this to remember him Amen.